not again. Listen to this. Dear Mr. Noah Smith, greetings from Prince Aoyusu Islasis. <laughs> I, have been, I have been requested by the National Bank of Nigeria to contact you for assistance <laughs> in resolving a matter. I currently have gold bullion to the value of 44 million US dollars that need to be transferred. Blah, 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 blah. blah. Prince Aoyusi Islasis. <laughs> Delete? <laughs> But why? Eh? Why is nobody getting back to me with assistance for the gold transfer? There is a fortune to be made here. I can't believe I can't get anybody interested. Well, all I can do is keep on emailing. Mr. Norton Smith. I hope this guy bites. Ah, uh, yes, poor Prince's lasses. I mean, why is nobody taking the $44 million off his hands? I wonder, I wonder. It's funny stuff, isn't it? Uh, funny because we know that in the real world, emails from lavishly generous Nigerian princes are generally not worth the pixels they're written on. We know that they're based on empty promises, uh, promises which, if believed, will surely lead to a whole world of, of disappointment, as I'm sure that some people have uh, sadly found out. Uh, but thankfully, not everyone we meet is as unscrupulous as the people behind these kind of email scams. Uh, in fact, each and every day, we're willing to take people at their word, aren't we? Um, we believe them. And, and not just in the little things, but in the big things too. You know, like, for example, when you go to the doctor... When you go to the doctor and they tell you that you need all sorts of poking and, and prodding and, and slicing and, and dicing, uh, uh, generally speaking, we take them at their word, don't we? So why is it? Why is it that we would believe someone like a doctor over and above somebody like Prince Aslassus? Well, I guess it all comes down to having good reason to trust that person, don't you agree? You know, with, with doctors, we can, we can see their qualifications hanging on their wall. Uh, often uh, we've heard of their reputation. And ultimately, we know that they're held accountable to the higher regulating bodies. Uh, yeah, there, there are good reasons to believe someone like a doctor. Of course, we don't necessarily believe the appointment time that they give us. There's only so many times you can sit for an hour in the waiting room before that becomes apparent. But besides that... Uh, there are generally good reasons to trust doctors, and sometimes we, we even put our lives in their hands. Well, today we return to the book of Hebrews, and uh, today we reach the second part of chapter 6. If you don't already have a Bible open in front of you, can I encourage you to grab one now and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6. It's page 1866 of the Church Bibles. And let me remind you that this book, it's been written by an unknown author to certain Jewish or Hebrew, Christians, are Jews who have put their trust in Jesus as their Messiah. And it seems that though these people were going strong as Christians, over the years it seems that life, well, has, you know, become increasingly difficult for them. It's gotten tough. In particular, these people, they've, they've been insulted in all sorts of ways for their faith. Uh, they've been publicly shamed uh, some of them have been thrown into jail on account of following Jesus and uh, some of them have even had their property confiscated. And these tough times have now left these Christians feeling rather discouraged and filled with doubt. 
They're starting to wonder if this is really what they signed up for and whether Jesus is really worth following. And so now they're tempted to give up and return to the the perceived safety of their old Jewish lives. And it's in this context that the writer now calls on these Christians to remember the example of Abraham. He gets them to remember the example of Abraham. Of course, Abraham had lived 2,000 years before these Christians. And I'm sure you remember the story of how God appears to Abraham and makes him the most extraordinary promise. The promise to give him a great big family, a family who would be greatly blessed by God. It was a truly extraordinary promise. But there was just one big problem. When God made this promise to Abraham, he was already 75 years old and his wife, Sarah, 65. And they had never been able to have kids. You know, it's not like they could just pop down into the local IVF clinic for help or something like this. This is 4,000 years ago we're talking about. Now, humanly speaking, the whole idea of Abraham and Sarah's ever having a child was, was laughable. But despite this considerable hurdle... Abraham chose to trust God. He took him at his word. He believed his promise. And so he waited patiently for it to be fulfilled. In fact, for the next 25 years, Abraham waited patiently. Until, finally, at the ripe old age of 100, God miraculously gave Abraham and Sarah a baby boy, Isaac. God was making good on his promise. And also to going to plan. Uh, that is until one day when, out of the blue, God told Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine? This was the son that Abraham and Sarah had longed for for, for so many years. Their, their precious, precious boy. I can't even begin to imagine Abraham's inner turmoil at receiving this command, can you? It must have been horrible. But through it all, there was one thing that Abraham couldn't ignore. And that was God's promise. Because God had promised Abraham a great big family. And more specifically, he'd promised that that family would come about through this particular boy, Isaac. And since Abraham firmly believed that God would never break his promise, he concluded that even if he did sacrifice Isaac, God would somehow restore his son to him. I'm sure you know how the story goes. As Abraham raises his knife over his son, God calls out and stops him. In the end, it was a test. And God was so pleased with Abraham's great faith that he responded by making his promise even more definite, by adding to it an oath. Uh, do, you know, do, you know what I mean I, do you know what I mean when I speak of an oath? Uh, in Bible times, you, you made an oath through, through swearing by someone or, or something greater than yourself. And so, more often that, than not, that meant swearing by God. You know, for example, you know, I swear to God that I will pay you back, which would be a way of saying, you know, I, I, if I don't pay you back, then I call on God to, to punish me. 
So obviously making an oath was a very, very serious thing to do. But of course, when God wanted to make an oath to show how serious he was about keeping his promise to Abraham, there was nothing or no one greater than him, and so he swore by himself. It meant that Abraham now had God's promise and his oath. And with that absolute assurance, Abraham continued to wait patiently for God to um, fulfill his promise. And in the end, Abraham was not left disappointed. Having the, the wonderful privilege of seeing his beloved son, Isaac, go on to marry Rebecca. And then after that, Rebecca going on to, to give birth to Abraham's twin grandsons, uh, Jacob and Esau. You read with me from Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. Chapter 6, verse 13. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so, after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. And so, yes, Abraham trusted God. Even when it was really, really hard, he kept believing the promise. He waited patiently. And in the end, he was not left disappointed. And it's this example of Abraham and his trust in God that the writer of Hebrews now wants to use to, to inspire his Jewish readers. He wants them to hold on to God's promise in the tough times too, just like Abraham did. Because the fact is, as the physical and, and spiritual descendants of, of Abraham, uh, these Hebrew Christians were living proof that God was still keeping his promise. And now it was their turn to wait patiently, trusting God. In fact, the writer says that uh, when God confirmed his promise to Abraham with an oath all those years ago, he actually had future believers, like these ones, on his mind. That he did it for their benefit, that, so that they would have no doubt that he'd come through for them too. Because as these Christians know, God is no used car salesman or, or used chariot salesman or whatever it is they had back then. You know, he doesn't offer empty promises like Prince's Lassus. No, he speaks only what is true. In fact, it is impossible for God to lie completely inconsistent with his fundamental character. In the same way that it's impossible for a triangle to have four sides. You know, why? Why is it impossible for a triangle to have four sides? Because, well, that would be totally inconsistent with the nature of a triangle, wouldn't it? Which by its very definition has but three sides, no more, no less. If you come across a four-sided triangle, then friend, I dare say you should be very concerned because I dare say that you have crossed over into the twilight zone or something. You have entered into some fictional universe in some imaginary reality because the fact is it is absolutely impossible for a triangle to have four sides. And in the same way, it is absolutely impossible for God to lie. Totally inconsistent with his very nature. Now, God is 100% faithful in what he says. 
And so it doesn't matter. It does not matter that God made his promise to Abraham 2,000 years before these Hebrew Christians were born. It doesn't matter. They could still completely trust what he said. Why? Because God had made a promise and God had made an oath and God never lies. He said he will make for himself a special people whom he will bless and so he will do it. End of argument. Here, read with me from verse 16. Verse 16. People swear by someone greater than themselves and the oath confirms what is said. It puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that, by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, that is the promise and the oath, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. And yes, how encouraging, how encouraging it must have been for these beleaguered Christians to know that they weren't enduring all of their hardships on the basis of wishful thinking. No, they had every reason to keep persevering in their faith, confident that the God who cannot lie would surely bring them great blessing just as he had promised. In fact, when you think about it, these Christians have even more reason to keep trusting God than Abraham ever had. After all, they'd come to know the very means by which God would ultimately keep his promise to Abraham. Jesus. Jesus, the perfect son of God who, who came into this world, who lived and died and rose again, that all who trust in him might become children of Abraham. A part of that great big family of faith and heirs of the promised blessing. In his death and resurrection, Jesus did what was necessary for sinners to become the truly blessed people of God. He washed their sins away. And now the writer of Hebrews wants these Christians to know the wonderful assurance that that brings. In Jesus, these Christians now have the sure hope of receiving all that God promised to Abraham. A sure hope that the writer describes here as an anchor for the soul. An anchor for the soul. An anchor which he says is grounded in the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, by which he means heaven itself. Where, he says, Jesus has gone ahead of believers and where he now stands as their eternal high priest, the one who makes them fit to follow him in. And if you stop and think about it for a moment, this is such an encouraging, such a beautiful image we have here. You know, these Hebrew Christians are in a sea of hardship, buffeted by by waves of persecution and, and heartache and doubt, They're at risk of being eternally lost at sea, so to speak. But as they keep hold of God's unbreakable promise, they find their souls anchored securely to the very throne of God. 
Each day, each passing day, the cable growing shorter and shorter until finally they too are drawn in behind the curtain where their saviour has gone before them. Their great hope finally realised. It's a beautiful, encouraging picture, isn't it? Here, read with me these final verses from verse 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. In terms of who Melchizedek is, don't worry too much about that. We'll hear all about him next week. But, but for, now, for now, just note the absolute assurance that these Hebrew Christians can have. You know, no matter what troubles come their way, their eternal future is firm and secure. God has promised to make them his own special people whom he will greatly bless. It's a promise made possible by Jesus alone. And so now these Christians, they just need to keep trusting him. And in the end, just like Abraham, they won't be disappointed, not one little bit. And so with that, we come to the end of today's passage, which then leads us, of course, to ask the question, so what about us? What does all of this you know, mean for us? Well, friends, just like Abraham and, and the Hebrew Christians before us, I, I think it's fair to say that, that sooner or later, all of us here tonight will face our own tough times. At times that will really test our faith. Maybe it'll be persecution, as was the case for these Hebrew Christians. Or maybe it'll be something different. Uh, maybe the loss of a loved one. Or a, a relationship breakdown. Perhaps that dreaded diagnosis. Or perhaps just the dreary monotony of middle, of middle life. And the question is, friend, how will you respond when those sea billows come your way? You know, will you keep holding on? Or will you give up and throw your Christian faith overboard? Well, what does tonight's passage have to say to you and me? Well, I think that it encourages us not to give up. But rather to keep trusting and obeying the word of God, come what? may in the certain knowledge that as we do our eternity with God is 100% secure it means that even as we face our tough times we can do so with true hope and with great encouragement uh, as a, a young bloke uh, I was a member of the boys brigade Have you heard of the boys brigade yeah. If you don't know the Boys Brigade, it's, it's kind of like Christian scouts, okay? And uh, once um, I was with the Boys Brigade, we went off bushwalking up in the Blue Mountains to a place called Pisgah. And it's an amazing spot, really is, uh, this uh, beautiful uh, sandy beach um, with this massive 80-metre-long rock pool that you can swim in. 
extraordinary place. But the thing about Pisgah is you have to climb down this really, really, really steep mountainside to get there. And uh, there is not much of a path to follow. Basically, there's no path to follow. And anyway, a number of years after being taken there by the the Boys Brigade, I I decided to take um, some friends to Pisgah who had never been there before, with with me leading the way. And um, we got down the mountainside just fine. Uh, That wasn't the problem. Uh, The problems we faced were when we were trying to come back up. And the thing that made it so hard was the fact that there was just no clear path to follow. And, and there, I had all these people that they're sort of all relying on me and they're all looking to me. And the fact is I had absolutely no idea if I was leading these people in the right direction or not. And uh, the more we went on, uh, the, the, the more sheer rock faces we uh, came across and uh, the more heckling I encountered from uh, uh, the people who were with me and and I can tell you the more desperately hopeless the whole thing felt. To cut a long story short, we made it out just fine. We were on the right path the whole time. But I can tell you, doubting you know, not, not knowing for sure, but doubting that we were going the right way. That was very disheartening and made a difficult climb oh, much, much, much harder. And so, you know, the next time I went, well, I made sure that <laughs> on the way down, I left lots of markings on trees and on rocks and everywhere I could, all these markings all the way down so that we had something to follow on the way back up. And I can tell you that made the world of difference. You know, it's not like the mountain was any smaller. But the firm belief that we were on the right path, that we were going the right way, it was just so reassuring and lifted everyone's spirits. Every marker we passed was a, was a great encouragement. An encouragement that we would ultimately reach our destination. And you know what, friends? I think that it's when we truly know that God's promises are real, when we truly believe God's promises that we are filled with such hope and assurance that then we can find encouragement even in the, in the toughest, toughest of times. You know, I'm sure that many people here tonight will uh, remember Deb and Darwin Agahari and uh, of the heartaches that they faced. Um, Darwin was one of our student ministers here at Chatswood uh, not, not that long ago. And uh, together they experienced... Uh, a number of miscarriages, it was very sad, uh, before their cherished little girl, Lizzie, was born. And uh, she was the answer to many years of prayer. Uh, but then, uh, sadly, at 20 months of age, uh, little Lizzie was taken from Deb and Darwin, uh, dying in her sleep from SIDS. In the days after Lizzie's death, her, her grieving father, Darwin, Uh, wrote the following in an online blog. As I read it, just listen to the hope that is here, okay? In amongst the sadness. I feel like Humpty Dumpty. We used to sing this song to her and all the king's horses and all the king's men can't put me back together again. We feel broken. 
A couple of weeks ago, I preached on the Christian answer to suffering, and I said, the Christian answer to suffering is hope. The certain hope that Christ rose again from the dead and that we too will one day rise from the dead. This certain hope is our only guiding light. Uh, right now, that hope is dimly lit, but it's there. And in the midst of this darkness, it's the only light around. It's like a single bright star in the night sky, and all we can do is fix our eyes on it. Don't get me wrong. This is not a fantasy we, make up, we made up to make, our, to make us feel better. This is not superstition passed down through the generations. This is the certain hope that comes from the historical fact that God incarnate defeated death 2,000 years ago when he rose from the dead. This is what we fix our eyes on. A day at a time, as we process our grief, this light will shine brighter and brighter and it will one day overcome us, for that day will come. The day when Jesus returns to take us home. A day when there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more death, no more grief, no more child-sized coffins, no more goodbyes. On that day, we will see our Lord Jesus. And on that day, we will see our Lizzie again. What great faith, hey? What great faith built on the sure promise of God to us in Christ. And so, Christian, when the storms of life come your way, as they surely will, and your sails are left torn and tattered, remember, won't you, remember that because of Jesus, your soul is forever anchored to the very throne of God, tethered firmly by the unbreakable promise of the God who cannot lie. So don't lose heart. But wait patiently. Keep trusting in Jesus. And as you do, we'll be greatly encouraged. Let's pray. Oh, our dear Father, we want to thank you for your absolute faithfulness to us. Thank you that we can totally believe everything you say. Thank you that in Jesus we, we see the extent of your commitment to keep your promise to us. Father, thank you that as we now take hold of this promise, we have the assurance of seeing it fully fulfilled, of one day being with you in heaven and experiencing your great blessings forever. Father, until that day, we pray that you would help each of us here in this place to endure all the hardships and, and heartaches that come our way. And please fill us with an unshakable hope and joyful encouragement to the very end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.